Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Work for the glory of God. Uh, we're told as believers to do everything for the glory of God. Uh, Paul talks in, to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. See, so eat your meals heartily, not, not worrying about what others say about you. You're eating to the glory of God. After all, not to please them. As a matter of fact, do everything that way, heartily and freely to the glory of God. Paul encourages us to get into the glory of God and live out of the glory of God. Does anyone know the first question in the Westminster Confession? Any good Presbyterians here? Michael, I'll let you answer that question. Oh, that'll be fair enough. I'll take that one. Yes. Oh, it's up behind. <laughs> all right. Have a look up there. I'm not used to all this stuff. All right. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, well, is that really an aim for life? Because, you know, if you're a farmer, you're making money. You look in the milk vat, not for the glory of God, but to see how much money it puts in your pocket and that sort of stuff like that. But it is true that the chief end of humanity, men and women, is actually to enjoy God and glorify him forever. So to look at work in the light of the glory of God, it's a very comprehensive thing. Because the glory of God is a very comprehensive part of who his nature and who he really is. Johnny Piper, who some of you would know, says about the glory of God that it is that that says that God's glory is the goal of all things, the un unifying goal of history. It's, he says the glory of God is the source. It's the source and sum of all of all full and lasting joy. He says the glory of God is something which is hard to to to, to define because it's like beauty. How do you define beauty? We communicate with God's glory not because we can say it, but because we see it, we experience it. And then he makes a very interesting point. I think it's a very true point. He says, God's holiness puts him in a class on his own. His greatness, his perfection, his purity, that's all part of his wholeness. Pretty much meaning that God, all of who God is, he is separate from us. But at the same time, he says, look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, where the seraphim, the angels, cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his holiness. No, his glory. So what Johnny Piper says is this. He says, so glory is, God's go so glory is God going public with his holiness. Glory is God going public with his holiness it means that his holiness is here and we know that through the glory which we feel and experience from him so we need at least as best we can to have eyes to see his glory and his glory is in this room by the way where's Taryn you're working for the glory of God <laughs> I'm gone already now I'm starting to prophesy Come on. Come on. <laughs> you're working for the glory of God There's some other person here that I was thinking of as well. Uh, Harry, you're not just a chippy, you're working for the glory of God. That's right. That's right. So let's look at four things about uh, work and who God is. Once so I can see through my glasses again. 
I'll look at four things. The dim glory of God, that's number one. The dim glory of God. Number two, the, perver- the pervasive glory of God. Of Sorry, the dim glory of work. The pervasive glory of work. The low-hanging glory of work. And the false glory of work. All right? Now just hang on a second. I'll try and explain them as best I can. All right? The dim glory of work. That's number one. The doctrine of creation and sin tells us about the dimming of the glory of work, okay? Who's heard of Pandora's box? Pandora, Greek, was she a goddess? No, she was a human being, but the gods gave her a box. They told her not to open it because all the nasties were in the box, all right? Being a human being, she couldn't help it. And so she opens the box and all the nasties come out, including work. So work in the Greek philosophy of things, I don't know what they did before work came out of the box. They must have just eaten something else that didn't create an opportunity for work. But So work comes out of the box. So in the Greek philosophy, work is actually seen as not, as not a very good thing. As a matter of fact, work's seen as a curse that those people who are cursed have to do. That is the first myth I mentioned here. The second myth is a modern myth which goes like this. The myth that nobody created the earth, it just happened. But coming out of that, the problem is that if nothing happened to create what we've got here, it means that human life which just came out into existence through we don't know what. And here, right now, through basically all of what's going on now, we're just part of the survival of the fittest. We're in this room because we're more intelligent, more good-looking. We're faster runners than than the animals that used to chase us in the jungle. And we're here like that now. But the problem with work in that is, is that we will be working in that philosophy of the survival of the fittest because we're trying to get ahead of other people who will get left behind. So I think that's another myth where work is seen as being quite brutalising, quite bad. Then the third look at the creation of work is, is comes from Genesis chapter 1 to 3. That's the creation account in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 2, verse 15, we read, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So work was there before the fall of humanity. So work is a glorious thing because God gave it to us to do. And then, of course, you come along and you get the problem of sin. Now, I I always thought that Adam was a turkey to eat that apple. When Jesus, being Jesus, he talks to me occasionally. He said, Brant, if you were Adam... You wouldn't have even waited for it. You would have just gone eating the apple in the first place anyway. So don't you get point the finger at Adam. All right. Now there's two things in creation that actual human beings are supposed to do. We, do them in, we did them in paradise. And one was childbirth and the other one was work. That was the two things that were given to humanity. It means that men got one thing and women got two things to do. So it just means that God knows that women can work twice as hard as guys, hard as guys. So in Genesis 3, we see that even childbirth became work. We call that something very painful. It's called labour. That's why it's called labour, because it's such a heavy work. Now, work, you might say, has become a curse, but I don't think work ever can become a curse because it's actually a blessing from God in the whole of paradise. So it's a good thing, but along with everything else in this old sinful world, work is now cursed. So it actually is hard, but yet it's good. That's what we need to keep in mind. 
We really need to get this. It's critical. If you think God owes you something, like he owes you a good job and he owes you a good wage, well, then you're not understanding the way in which work has been, had that curse put upon us. And you will find yourself in trouble at times because you may not get that job. On the other hand, if you think work's a drudgery, you're forgetting what happened in paradise and how good work was. And if you start to cut corners, well, then you're not doing what God wants you to do anyway for his glory. So we see work as glorious but dimmed. Glorious but dimmed. And some of you know what I mean. The, my second point is the pervasive glory of, of work. God's glorious. I've been saying that all along. Think about what we call the doctrine of common grace. Who's heard of the doctrine of common grace? Some good Lutherans putting their hands up there. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, the doctrine of common grace, it means God's, uh, God's glory visible to some degree in all work, whether the person believes in God or obeys God or not. The answer is yes, but in Romans chapter 1 and 2, Paul confirms that there's primordial, primordial knowledge that all human beings have. He says in Romans chapter 2 verses 14 and 15, Indeed, when Gentiles show that the requirements of the law are written in their hearts, their conscience is also bearing witness. He's saying there, the law of God is written on all people's consciences. So at some deeper level, there's moral intu intuition that all people have, whether they know it or not. You talk to somebody who believes totally in moral re relativism and they disagree with you, you'll find how strongly they believe it, that there is a, a moral point to things by the way they react to what you are saying. So work is a good thing. Isaiah chapter 28 verses 24 to 29. When a farmer plows for, plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? When he levels the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. You say, what? When any farmer plants, it says that God has instructed him and taught him the right way. And at the end in verse 29 there, it says, all this also comes from the Lord Almighty who plan, who, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is significant. So Isaiah has seen as a prophetic thing that work is a wonderful thing that God has given us to do. If we listen up to God, experience his glory in our life, work will actually be something which could and can be quite brilliant at the same as is there is that yes, yes but about it. So what Isaiah is saying is that this is brilliant, that skillful farming God's got his hand on that terrific music God's got his hand on that as a matter of fact if you think about creation and the fall and all the rest of it are you going to be better are you going to be able to use your gift of music longer than someone can use their gift of evangelism you think of the new heaven and the new earth do you need evangelism there you think of the new heaven and the new earth do you need music there so go with your music gifts, just forget the evangelist, all right, because it's going to last you for a lot longer. Good music, new advances in science, good political leadership, God's got his hand on the whole lot of that. They're all God inspired, he's bringing great things into our lives through them. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, James says there, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, coming down with God's glory on it. 
One of the interesting things in Isaiah, again in Isaiah chapter 45 verse 1, there's a king there, he's actually a Persian king called Cyrus. And in actual fact, the, the Isaiah prophesies over him and says God's message to his anointed, which means the one who's God's spirit on, to Cyrus, whom he took by the hand to give him the task of taming the nations. In other words, God's glorious work can lie on a pagan king. It's interesting about Cyrus being a Persian right now, this is a bit of an aside, that many, many people in the world today who call themselves Persian are very proud of their Persian heritage and they're also becoming very proud of Jesus. They are about the, the fastest group of people group in the world who are getting, becoming uh, followers of Jesus Christ at the moment. The Persians, maybe, and some of those Christians, of course, will go back to Cyrus. Cyrus, he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. We are Persian, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Good on him, you know. God's work comes through this guy. And now people are picking up on that and seeing Christ at work. But always it's a yes, but. But mixed in all of this, we can call the idolatrous discourse. Now that again is a theological term. It's a fancy word that means not living for God but for something else. And whatever that is, is it, it's what it distorts work. If we live for ourselves, well then we distort work. If we live for God in our work, we actually glorify work. So putting these two things together at this point, non-believers are never as bad as their wrong beliefs ought to make them. I'll say that again. Non-believers are never as bad as their, as their works, wrong beliefs would make them. And here's the one that's a bit of a cracker for Christians. And believers are never as good as their right beliefs ought to make them because of sin. Those of us who are living for the glory of God always fall short. If you don't come and see me afterwards and I'll learn how to do it, we take on an occasional, occasional idol of sex, money and power. And they're always at the door tuggering, tugging at us. So why is it so important to understand the idea of common grace, that sense of God's grace being on all work and on people in their work? If we don't actually understand and take that on, we'll actually find that the world's always going to be a fairly confusing place for us because have you heard of Mozart and Salarini? Have you heard of Amadeus, the movie? Who's seen Amadeus? It's, it's about, and it just proves this point really well. Is it, how do you say Salarini? Is that right? Salarino. Salarino was this really, really good uh, opera writer. He's a really strong Christian, and he's a bit older than, uh, than Mozart, right? And they make this movie about him where they actually ham it up worse than what it was, I think, really and truly. But in the movie, the point is this. Mozart is a bit debauched and a bit wayward and a bit bawdy, all right? But in spite of all that, he can come up with the most beautiful music. There's a guy called Karl Barth, who is a great theologian of the 20th century, and he reckons that Mozart got his music from paradise, actually. Now, a theologian saying that is a bit of a big call. But Mozart, if you listen to Mozart, I don't mind whether you're a rock and roll fan like young Sam up the back there doing his strut and his stuff. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I think if you listen to Mozart, the best of Mozart for a while, it does actually calm your soul down a little bit. Anyway, Mozart could write this unbelievable uh, orchestral music and this other guy, Salarini, who was really quite good, 
but was a really strong Christian, he could not get it into his head that God wouldn't let him write better music because he was so, so much a consistent Christian. And in the end, it nearly drove him mad. And in that film, in that film, uh, Armadaeus, he actually poisons Moses. Now, now, we don't know whether he did. Out of jealousy and out of frustration for the fact that Moses could actually, sorry, Moses, uh, Mozart could be such, such a, uh, a weird character but write so well. And that's what happens, actually, if we don't watch out, that we don't have an understanding of the fact that God has actually made pagan people do brilliant work and sometimes we do not so brilliant work as believers. Keep that in mind. It's called a reductionistic attitude. Right, the third one, uh, the low-hanging glory of God. All right. Here I'm talking about Christians, a Christian's vocation. Martin Luther, who I love reading because he was such a colourful character, he also used to get depressed. So if you think you're going to be a really strong, colourful character and you get depressed now but one day you won't get depressed well go don't read Martin Luther because you might work out that God doesn't worry too much about depression sometimes he worries about us getting out what we've got inside of ourselves he does worry about our health as well of course Martin Luther when he expounded uh, Psalm 45 and 47 talks about the in these places where it says God feeds all living things and in chapter 47 verse 13 he strengthened the bars of the gates now in actual fact, he thought to himself, and then he expounds it in this thing, well, what does it mean to ex actually strengthen the bars of a gate? It's actually to strengthen the bars on a, on a city wall so that the enemy can't get in. And he says, in society, strengthening the bars of the gates is actually a very simple thing. It's actually just good leadership, uh, intelligence being used properly, through farmers and bakers and grocers and other people as well. And when people do that, Luther says that what God's actually doing is what you do now. God is actually doing what you do now when you do it in a godly way. That's God working in and through you. And he gives an example. He talks about a father who teaches his child to chop wood. Back in the day, they needed wood to keep themselves warm, especially in Germany in the wintertime. And the son thinks, well... Why should I keep chopping wood? My father loves me. He won't let me die of exposure, so I'll stop chopping wood. And the old man gets him and basically says, you chop wood or else. And, Moses, and sorry, so Luther says, all good work, even the simplest of work, down to a child's performance is by which God wants to give us his gifts. In other words, even a child doing work is God's glory being worked out through a child. And I think that's a good point. Some kid out the back just said yes as well. <laughs> I think Luther's right. Just simple tasks in his day of milking a cow is God's hands. And Luther says that workers are the masters for God here on earth. When you work for the glory of God, Luther says you're the masters of God here on earth. And you think about it. If you don't clean your house and you don't clean your house for five years, you're going to die, right? So it's a good idea to work so you don't die. So you need to be masters of, your, of God's work so that you can glorify God and not just snuff it and go somewhere else. Working well, cooking, building, sewing, studying, leading. You're all doing the work of God. You are participating in the glory of God here on earth. God's work has such dignity. It's the doctrine of vocation. That's the doctrine that they call it. And there's dignity and glory in what God does through each one of us. 
my fourth and final point is the false glory of work. And it comes from actually the understanding of the Sabbath day in the Old Testament, especially with Moses trying to get uh, the children of Israel out of slavery. And God says there has to be a, a day of rest. There has to be a day of rest. Historically, it's saying don't work everyone all of the time. The Egyptians were killing God's people through working them harder and harder all the time. And God just wouldn't allow that. And it's really about, for us, it's about us not wanting for God's glory, but to make a name for ourselves. And that slavery in the end, working for yourself to make a name for yourself, puts you into slavery. If you go down this track, you won't get decent sleep even. And if we don't get deep into deep sleep or EM, REM sleep, we are going to be exhausted. Some people are exhausted even, even after they've had six weeks holiday. Why? Because they're working for themselves. They won't allow themselves to get into that rest, that Sabbath rest that God expects every human being and gives every human being for themselves. The resting of the soul, which we all need to have. Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verse 9 says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest, rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. We need spiritual rem. We need spiritual rem. We talk about the work of Christ for salvation. And Jesus is brilliant. Work can crush us at times, and it does crush us. Christ's work crushed him. So just in a sense, live with your master when you feel crushed and continue to work for the glory of God. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where he says, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ's work killed him. But in that process he died for all of our sins. In that process he died to allow us to be free to be who we should be. The righteousness of God. Coming out of Christ's work we can say, Father, I love you. I'm in a right relationship because of what your son has done for me. The righteousness of God. I can say to my brothers and sisters I'm in a right relationship with you with each one of you because of what Jesus has done just going back a few verses in verse 17 there Paul says therefore as anyone is in Christ the new the new creation has come the old is gone and the new is, is here we are new on the inside we live in the old world we live between the tug of the old world and the new world coming in and they're sort of intermashed now and in our hearts and in our minds, we can be the new creation, even though work might be difficult, even though the glory of God might be hard to see. It is there, and we are new. We're new in Christ. And then Paul goes on to say in the next chapter, verse 1, he says, and God's, as God's co-workers, in other words, as God's co-workers in his glorious plan, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Work is, is absolutely brilliant. And, and going back to Martin Luther, he was really trying to make a point really strongly. He says, don't look around for big religious ideas to actually do, thinking that that is going to actually be what you may need to do. Look at 
for instance, he used a father, a husband and father. He says, you're a husband or a father, and we would say husbands or wives and children as well, and mothers. And he says, if you're going to take that role seriously, he says, to do that with your children and with your wife or your husband, he says, you're going to need five heads and ten arms to do it properly. In other words, there's so much glory to be got out of a decent relationship with your partner and with your kids that you don't need any other vacation in that sense. So never ever sneeze about any work that's going on. I was thinking of some of you, you students and you're working in coffee lounges and places like that. And I was thinking, you guys know about the glory of God in the work. You go to work, all right? And you smile if you're female, at old men like me because you know that we like being sort of, and you guys, you smile at old ladies like other old ladies. And you know that we like sort of being built up a little bit in our old age. And you smile and you listen to the same story from a thousand different old people. And you know that that night you've got three assignments to get finished as well. But you're there, you're doing it, you're actually working in that set of circumstances and the glory of God is shining through you. It's, it is, it's brilliant. I can feel it, I can sense it out of some of you right now. As Jesus said, let your light show, shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In those days in a coffee shop, it's something we always get in the kingdom of God looking forward to the promised land, the new heaven and the new earth. While you're working in the coffee shop, some days you will feel and experience the glory of the kingdom of God around you. And you'll think, this is good work in here. And on a tough day, you'll actually think, it's not so good here. And what you're getting is, is the idea of the kingdom and the glory of Christ working through you is both now but not yet it is now it's happening with you now but in the future because it's not yet the future there will come there will come the promised land there will come a new heaven and a new earth and then everything will be complete so on the bad days don't feel that the that the glory of god or jesus's presence is not with you but just say to yourself self today is a day of not yet and i'll anticipate tomorrow that thing but in a good day, just remember to say, thank you, Jesus. You are brilliant. You're allowing me to do this work. Finishing off where I started, Paul says, so eat your meals heartily, everybody, not worrying about what others say about you. You're eating to, you're eating to the glory of God. After all, not to please them. As a matter of fact, do everything that way, heartily and freely for the glory of God. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.